We go to our text. Our text today is Nahum, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Nahum, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. In a sermon that I have titled, Riches to Rags. Now, I, I know you hear it the other way around, but we're calling this Riches to Rags. So, if you will, uh, follow along as I read, beginning with verse 8 of Nineveh. Of, of, uh, of Nahum chapter, I'm looking at the word, it's one of the first words there, but it's uh, Nahum chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. But Nineveh of old <clears throat> is like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand shall they cry, but none shall look back. Take ye the spoil of silver and the spoil of gold. For is none end of the store and glory of all the pleasant furniture. She is empty and void and waste, and her heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins and the faces of them. All gather blackness. Dim picture of something that actually happened over 2,600 years ago. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look into the Word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your Word this morning. Help us to rightly divide your Word. Lord, we don't want to mislead anyone in any way. We want to speak the truth in love, but never to water it down in order to accommodate the philosophies of the world. Lord, help us to speak the truth in love, but to speak boldly, as thus saith the Lord in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As I said, you may have thought I got it wrong when I said riches to rags. And yet there are other people who say, man, pastor, I can understand that very perfectly. We had riches until the kids came along, <laughs> okay? And then all of a sudden, it's rags, all right? Uh, but, you know, there are things that come along. It's the story of our text. Nineveh had riches. I mean, they had, they had it all. But you may say that robbers came, and they were left with rags. So I want you to see the progression in our text today. So again, let's go back and look at verse 8 as we see the riches. But Nineveh of old is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand shall they cry, but none shall look back. Nineveh of old pictures Nineveh in her glory. It was a time when all the nations would tremble at her presence as she would plunder and, and, and pillared every place that she would go and take the best of what she wanted and kill the people. Unless she took some for their servants and slaves. She was so rich and increased with goods and pleasures, there was no lack. And it says that she is as a pool of water. And that picture is for us a of water, maybe you can set, see this setting in a country setting, a pastoral setting, and 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 here it looks like 
a small lake or something, but it's so clear, as clear as crystal. Perhaps it's spring-fed. And you see it, and you look across the way there, and, and you can see the sun in its fullness shining on it, or at night a full moon as it makes this glow across there. And it's, it's just something that is such that it's a very tranquil and beautiful repast of which anyone would feel relaxed. They would feel so safe in it. It's very peaceful. Yet, there is no safe haven, none whatever, on earth nor in the skies, when once the hand of Almighty God begins to move in judgment. It reminds us of the last days when they'll be saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. How many times we watch the news uh, in the evening over the years, <clears throat> if you're Republican and Republican's president, he says, we've signed a peace treaty. Everybody's clapping. Then a Democrat's president, and he says, we've signed a peace treaty, and all his people are happy. But truth is, there is no peace. Isn't it interesting? We live in America, a free country, and I'm so glad I do. But we look outside and you see here going all the way around a fence. We put that in for security. Now, most of us that have uh, a little bit of years on the speedometer, okay, uh, we remember going to public school when you read the Bible, you had prayer. We also remember that you didn't have a security guard at the school. You didn't have a policeman there. You went there and you went out. You was back and forth. If, if, if a couple of boys in the high school got in a fight, it would be broken up. And then the principals or the deans would take care of that. And, and instead of having a protest about being too hard on the kids, uh, the parents were much harder on them than the principal or the dean could ever dream of being. And that's the way it was. But we've had so much progress in this country. Isn't the progress wonderful? Kick God out of the school and things will be better. Now it's not safe for anyone hardly. And as we, we've got to put a fence around the school. And I don't call that peace and safety. Okay? And so that's the, that's the progression that takes place when you go away from the things of God and the principles on which this country, and this is not a political speech, but this country is founded on the Word of God, to be honest with you. Much from the Word of God, is go, even some of the men that were involved may not have been saved, but they respected the Word of God. And now we have this mess that is supposed to be so much better. Now, you saw what went on in... And I don't want to make this political, but I'm trying to lay out a scene here for you, okay? America is the number one power. We're still the number one power, okay? We're still that. But I'm trying to lay that out this scene because that's what uh, Nineveh was at this day, the number one power. And you, you saw this week and all the protests... <laughs> 
to be frank with you, I don't think it was about a judge. There's two things I think it's about. Because you also had the protest against the police in this day we live in. Why is that? Why is the protest against police who are there to protect you? And why is it against these uh, judges? Well, two things, I think. And I've had some that have really said, yes, that's what it is about. One is abortion. They still want to kill babies. Human babies. They still want to kill. They want to protect an eagle's egg, but they don't want you to uh, protect a human baby. I don't understand that. And, and then the other thing. Uh, they don't want to eliminate police, but they want a police state where the, the federal government controls it all. Now, if you're going to have iniquity abounding in, as it was in Nineveh, to where you can have all they want and just the police takes care of anything that's righteous to keep it out, then, then you, you have what Nineveh had. Pray that we don't get to that place anymore. Again, I'm not making a political statement. What I'm trying to say is that we're so close to what Nineveh was in that day. And we're not Nineveh and America. I don't really see them a whole lot in the Bible. Do you? Prophecy goes around Israel. I'm just pointing that out. But to say this, and uh, I digress for just that little bit to point that out. But again, there is no safe haven on earth nor in the heavens when once the almighty hand of God begins to move in judgment. And that includes America. The riches are as a bird taking them and, and flying away with them in his mouth. He flies away and they can't get them. Their own hand is insufficient to retain what they built in Nineveh regardless of the greatness of the city of its walls and the, their power as they established it and they obtained that power. And as they went through the nations and defeated nation after nation and and. and Again, they pillaged it all. Then you find out, as you come to this day, they had never had to fight against the hand of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord did bring armies of earth to come against them, but armies had come against them before, but they could never get inside those walls. That's why the hand of God was needed. And so God sends something that was unusual for that place, and that was a flood of waters. You say unusual, yeah, if you look at that place, you'll find out that it's a desert today. He brings a flood of waters. And it's so powerful, it breaks down those walls. Now, those walls were built. Wide and they were powerfully built, and so much so that enemy armies that had tried it in the past said they're impregnable. You can't do anything about it. But regardless of the greatness of the enemy, remember, nothing is too hard for the Lord. That's why we have a virgin birth. Man can't do that, but God could. You see, God could. And there was the virgin birth of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that will be coming. Now, the walls are destroyed. Now their mighties flee away. We were back in verse 5 there some time ago, and we, we saw the worthies. 
These are the worthies. The mighties are the worthies of verse 5. They were the great and gallant men. They were the powerful men. They would be the men that are spoken here of the warriors who stood above all the others. And when they'd come back, they'd be uh, touted as the heroes and the valiant men and the great men of, of Nineveh. They stood above the rest. But now the walls fall. God has brought, no man can take credit for walls falling. Man had tried and never made it. God brings those walls down. And when he brings the walls down, now the armies are able to come in and destroy them. But now the people, the men, or the women, should I say, and the children, they're crying, stand, stand. Well, why are they crying, stand? Why are they saying that? Because they're worthies. The brave men, the men who have done exploits in battle, are running. And they're not looking back. They are cowards. They have no hint of remorse. You say, well, why not? Why did they do that? Because they had pillaged and plundered other places. They knew what they would do to women and children. And they would kill the men. So they left their own women and their own children behind because they were trying to save their own neck. They were not truly valiant men. Riches and pleasures mean little when it involves your life. Riches and pleasures will mean little as well at the great white throne judgment of God when you stand before him and if you stand there without Christ no matter how many riches, no matter how many good works you do in this life, they will mean, all your riches and good works will mean little when you stand before the almighty God of the universe at the white throne judgment. Before being cast into that eternal lake of fire. In hell, many will find out too late that Satan used them. I wonder how many in hell will curse the name of a Christian who was around those people, could have shared the gospel with them, and did not. I wonder how many will curse the name of a preacher who would say, well, just do the best you can. Oh, you don't have anything to worry about. Instead of calling them to repent and believe the gospel, how much will they curse that preacher's name in the eternal lake of fire? And you see, what will happen to them is they'll go from the riches of this world to the rags of the eternal flame. You can live and prosper in this world. Go to Las Vegas. I don't mean literally go, okay? But go to Las Vegas. There's people with millions of dollars there. And there are people that will die with millions of dollars in their accounts, but they'll leave it all behind. Now, I did. This, this is the truth. I was at a military funeral. I was doing it at the cemetery. 
And, and I was sitting in my car waiting for our turn, and I saw a U-Haul leaving the cemetery. So I don't know if they emptied it in there, but I can guarantee you whatever was in that U-Haul did not go up or down, okay? <laughs> but I'm, I'm saying that uh, to say this. If you could take the things of this world with you and you're without Christ, they're going to melt and burn away. They'll do you no good. And so they left this world and had nothing left. We've seen the riches. Now let's see the robbers in verse 9. Take your spoil of the silver. Take the spoil of gold. For there is none end of the store and the glory out of all the pleasant furniture. Why spoil, that is still, the, the silver and, and, and the gold? And, and the furniture, well, the pleasant furniture, the glory of it is so great. Again, these are things that Nineveh took wherever they would go. They would take their silver. They'd take their gold. They would take anything they have of great value. If it meant beautiful furniture, they would take that furniture with them. They would take it all. As far as they were concerned, it's for us. We want it fair and square, which any war is usually not fair and square. It is in the palace primarily that all this gold and silver is with all the beautiful furniture, but then also the great men have it in their homes. In the houses of great men of war, they have this huge inventory of high-end items. And then you have besides that even the country itself. That place, you know, they just don't have the low-income furniture if they have furniture. No, it's, it's the great stuff. They had the high-end items. The glory sees its majesty, its honor, and, and shining glory. And the idea there is a, this stuff is of great value in the eyes of the world. Now, for us, it would be going window shopping, okay? I, I remember being in Indianapolis, Indiana one time, and this is a high-end mall, and I realized why it's a high-end mall. Uh, boy, everything was so expensive in that place. And it's fun to go in there and just talk to a salesman. Yeah, man, that looks that looked good on me. You put them on, okay. Oh, they just don't feel right. No, they feel better than you've ever had, but they don't feel right. You take them off and say, I'm just going to stick with what I have, you know. You're, you're afraid to tell the guy, I can't afford that. Now, we can go window shopping in this life, but what we lay up for the next life there's nothing in this world that could compare. And you do it by doing God's will, God's way, and in God's time, and the time for that is right now in your life. And so under normal conditions, we couldn't afford what they had, but in heaven we'll have it all. And what's normal in heaven is far beyond what we can comprehend now. The vicious and cruel atrocities of the Ninevite army are now being repaid. All is being taken from them. They had so much that they did not keep the cheap things any longer. But as the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, 
Avenge not yourselves, because vengeance belongeth unto the Lord. I will repay. So will it be with the men who gain this whole world? Oh, they live and boy, they have it all, but they die without Jesus Christ. They lose their own soul. Jesus spoke of this in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, where he said, For what, uh, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Perhaps one has done some high-end shopping. For the riches and the cares and the pleasures of this life. And yet the kind of shopping you've done has not really been what we say excessive evil. Or evil at all. And, and, and you've lived for those things. But they, those things take you from God. The Lord takes you from his church. That's probably another Amber Alert. And so don't worry about it okay. But uh, I already know where I'm going. If you don't know where you're going when you die, you better listen. Hope that we get done before that does, okay? All right. But again, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now again, it keeps you from the Lord. And it gets you to the point where church and the things of God are only done on convenience, not commitment. You're the one that's not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay. You're the one. You're the one that's going to hear, saved, but so as by fire. Ashamed at his appearing. Now, folks, listen, this life is short. Eternity is forever. What do you want it to be? Now, sometimes we think of these people here in Nineveh. They paid a wage for their sin. But don't miss this. They're still paying a wage for their sin over 2,600 years, and there's still a spirit that has not ceased to, expi- uh, to, to exist, but it's in a fire and being tormented night and day forever and ever. It's still there. It's still conscious. And has no hope. And by the way, that is literal torment and it is literal fire regardless of people who try to change the word of God so it's not worth it they didn't see God but then they weren't looking for God because he will uh, those it says there that he's only found for those who diligently seek him in Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it is impossible to please him 
For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently, diligently, diligently seek him. But that faith must be in Jesus Christ. It must be in his word. It must not be in yourself. It's not in your works. It's not in your things. It's not in your intellect. It's not in your savvy. No, your faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. That is your only hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ. 150 years before this, Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. Nineveh's, 150 years later, their progeny should have been as wise as their forefathers. America was founded, as we told you earlier, on biblical truths. Let's not lose the wisdom of our forefathers. What I want you to see, though, is that it's Satan, it is sin, and it is self that becomes the robbers of life. And reward. Well, after the robbers and the riches see finally the rags of verse 10, she is empty and void and waste. And the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins. And the faces of them all gather blackness. With Nineveh, it was a lost race. Desolation. Utter hopelessness. We don't talk about the Ninevite progeny today because they don't exist today. Their descendants don't exist. They're gone. But what a picture. What a vestibule of hell. When a man dies without Christ, not only is he separated from those he loves, he's forgotten. Seeing only the torture and and torment of eternity in a lake of fire in which the Lamb and his angels carry out the word. The worthies fled we're told. They fled. Nineveh is empty, it's void, it's waste, and, 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 and here their worthies have fled. And we're reminded of Armageddon coming in Revelation chapter 6 verses 14 through 17. He says, and the heavens departed. Now, this is where Jesus is coming back. The armies of the world are gathered together to fight one another, and the heavens depart as a scroll, and there's Jesus on that horse, and, and all of his armies, the host of heaven behind him. He says, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us 
and hideth from the face of him that that uh, sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? The great men, the mighty men, the captains, as well as the poor, we're reminded of Belshazzar, who saw the handwriting on the wall. And just like it says in verse 10, his feet smote together, his heart melted within him. And that night, his kingdom is lost. And here are these men, as Christ is returning. Regardless of whether you're great or rich or mighty or bondman or whatever you are, without Christ, they are trying to hide themselves, but there's no place to hide when Christ comes. That is the people on earth at the end of the tribulation. But let's jump to the time of the great white throne. And they're cast into the eternal lake of fire. Right now, a man dies without Christ, he goes to a place called hell. But death and hell are cast into the eternal lake of fire to end. Understand, death is not ceasing to exist. It means separation. And so he says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again. Riches to rags. Your riches in this life without Christ may be financial. It may be popularity. It may be your family. It can be so many things that we count of value. But without Christ, you lose all those values when you're cast into the eternal lake of fire. Tormented night and day forever and ever. Looking at Nineveh. They had trusted that wall. They could see the armies coming. They weren't worried about them. They could see it coming, but they weren't worried because they had the wall. Nobody could enter unless they opened. But Proverbs 29, 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. You hear the plan of salvation, you hear the plan of salvation, you hear the plan of salvation, you hear the plan of salvation. You're called to get saved, you're called to get saved, you're called to get saved. You put it off, you put it off, you put it off. Oh, you're not angry, you're not rebellious, you just don't get saved. My friend, the day comes when suddenly you're cut off, and that without remedy. Meaning, there's no chance to be saved. And the eternal lake of fire 
will be yours forever. Where you never cease to exist. But Jesus Christ and his love. He came to this earth. He was God in heaven. And he came to this earth and took on flesh that he might die for you and me. He did that for you. He did that for me. He died on a cross. But all that bloody pulp that was hanging there is not what he's trying to impress us with. He's just trying to show us what our sin demanded. And in a clear to the human eye form, you can see a body that says, so messed up. His visage is so marred, Isaiah tells us, that we can't even look at him. And to think, to think, that as they look at that one, that isn't the worst part of the cross. That's the first three hours. The second three hours, the sky has turned dark. And God the Father takes over the crucifixion. And he pours out almighty wrath upon the human spirit of Jesus Christ. I don't believe anybody in hell, although their suffering will be great, will be horrible, and will be forever, will suffer as much as he suffered at that time in spirit. But my friend, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He paid your penalty for you. But that means absolutely nothing if you don't take it. Let me just use this illustration in closing. You know why so many companies make gift cards today? Not just to get you to come there, but many times they find that there are literally, across America alone, millions of dollars that are not spent because people don't use them. Somebody bought a card for them and they get misplaced, maybe even get thrown in trash, don't even realize that they get misused. Look, they're not there any longer. It was there for them to use. They just didn't take advantage of it. Salvation is free. It's there for you. It, your salvation wasn't free. It was paid for. It's paid for in full. The Bible says that Jesus is the propitiation. That means the entire payment for all sin for all time. But it's not anything for you if you don't receive the payment. You've got to receive the payment. And receiving the payment, you're saying, you're God. Jesus died for me. I believe he paid the penalty for every sin I ever have or ever will commit. I'm receiving you to my life as my Lord, as my God. Now he's the head. You're giving him your heart and life. In exchange, he's not only cleansing you of your sin and its penalty. He's promising you everlasting life in heaven. Don't be so foolish to be suddenly cut off without remedy. Let's bow our heads, please.